0: God, uh, yeah. <clears throat> Others have said it, and, and I, I had the same experience. I look back to the two years that I, that I went there when uh, we were really beginning this whole thing, and, and just seeing those kids for the first time, the contrast. Uh, I, it's, it's, it's just huge that... Joy, the smiles on their faces now uh, compared to what was there at one time. And, and also just to see how much they've grown. Uh, what, a, what a blast. So. Well, in the, in the truest sense of the word, the Bible's a spiritual gold mine. And I, I say that it's worth every, every bit of effort that we put digging into it so we can understand its truth. And that's, that's why I, I feel so deeply about. Last Sunday's sermon, when I talked to you about the priority for us as parents. That, you know, that we make it our priority to teach our children the truth of God's word. And that we don't hand it off to somebody else entirely, you know. But we, we understand, number one, it begins, it begins with us. And, I mean, what we've got in this book, you know, to be able to share with our kids. It, it's just the best. It's the best. So the Bible... Without questions a, a spiritual gold mine, and I'm I'm seen again with the book of Colossians, and that includes the, the second chapter that we come to this morning. And I you've heard me say this before. i I mean I'm I'm absolutely in awe of scripture. I'm in awe of how not only what Paul wrote in the book of Colossians, but how he wrote it. And of course the you know, credit goes to God, the Spirit of God guiding him and doing this and so once again, you know, I've, I've been waiting. Once I got this sermon done, it was like, oh bad, I yeah, can't wait till I can, I can share it. In fact, I have a, I have a kind of a running joke with a, with a good friend who I talk about the sermon each week. And, and he's heard me say this so many times now where I'll go, man, I, this is like the best passage. You know, I just cannot wait to do it. And he, he's gotten so used to me saying that, he goes, Really? surprised to hear you say that you know Um, but I am so and unapologetically I guess so here's 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 why I'm I'm pumped up about preaching today because what we're going to see is how Paul speaks to what's perhaps the the biggest challenge we're facing in today's world when we we want to talk to somebody else about our faith in in Jesus Christ and it, it, it just strikes me that though scripture was written nearly 2,000 years ago, it's, it's every bit as relevant to you and me today as it was to the people who, who first read it. And that's true of what we're looking at this morning. And here's the challenge we face and, and, and why these verses are so relevant to us. And I'm, I'm going to talk about this through a book written by Tim Keller, Tim um, Keller. Great book. Uh, The title of the book is The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. I highly recommend uh, that that would be a book, I would say, that that you should read. Uh, You'll find it very helpful. Now, the title of the first chapter identifies the challenge that is answered for us in in the verses that we're going to look at today. And I'm sure you recognize a statement like this. Uh, uh, There can't be just one true religion. Anybody ever hear that? Can't just be one true religion. I read this book a while back and and for some reason I, I remember Keller writing this in, in the first chapter. In fact it's how he opens up the book. He, he said this during during my nearly two decades in New York City as a pastor there. He said I've had numerous opportunities to ask people, what is your biggest problem with Christianity? What what troubles you the most about its its beliefs are how it's practiced. And he writes, one of the most frequent answers that I've heard over the years can be summed up in one word. It's the word exclusive. That Christianity is exclusive. Keller then writes about three different approaches taken in today's world to minimize even even remove the influence of of any religion on the lives of people. And and one of those approaches that he talks about is to condemn religion, to condemn it. Here's what he wrote about this. He said, This approach creates an environment in which it is considered unenlightened and outrageous to make exclusive religious claims, even in personal conversations. And it does so by stating, and ...restating certain axioms that eventually achieve the status of common sense. And those who deviate from them are stigmatized as foolish or, as he writes, even dangerous. Now Keller lists these axioms for us and I I think it's very likely that you've heard one or or all of them. So the first one is this, All, all major religions are equally valid and basically teach the same thing the second axiom is this each religion sees part of the spiritual truth but none can see the whole truth the third axiom it is arrogant to insist that your religion is right and to convert others to it never hear any of those anybody ever right right you've heard them right okay Now, it might be, be that you've come here today and, and you're still on your spiritual journey. And, and if you and I could sit down right now and have a conversation about this, you'd, you, you'd challenge me on, on this whole deal. You'd, and, and you'd say, to, I mean, you'd do it very nicely, but you'd say, you know, what's, you know what, Steve? I'd have to say that, that I agree with each one of those axioms. It, you don't disagree that there's a huge amount of wisdom in what Jesus said, but where you struggle is where he insisted that he's the only way to God, that he's the only way. So my hope is that what Paul wrote in the verses that we're going to look at this morning will be helpful for you. And, you know, and there's other things that can help along with us, but helpful for you to, to, to understand why we believe Jesus Christ was correct when he said, I'm the, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and, and I want to just even add this. I, I want to tell you, not, it is my privilege. I am thankful that you've come here this morning. I mean that so sincerely. And, and, and I also want, I want you to know that I, I totally 100% respect you. For asking those kind of questions, you know, because really we just can't, we can't just go into something blindly. We've we've got to have good reason to believe it. All right, well, the the title that, if you've been here for a a few weeks, you know, uh, for this series is Equations. And, um... We got an equation. Well, one of the things we've been trying to do is write, write an equation for each sermon. So we got equations as the whole series, and then, and and so here's the equation for today. This sums up what, what Paul teaches us in the verses that we're going to be looking at. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. What we're talking about. When we talk about everything. We're talking about. Uh, everything that we need for life now, uh, wisdom and, and courage and, and, and strength, the strength we need to be the kind of person we want to uh, we, we be, you know, purpose in our life, all of those kinds of things. And so everything we need for life now and then everything that we need for eternal life uh, after we die. Paul's writing this letter because it's been reported to him that certain individuals have come into this church and interjected ideas about God and man that are very different from what the Colossians had been taught, what Paul taught, and what the Colossians themselves had come to believe. And we're we're not talking small differences here. We're we're talking literally about life and death. Because if you believe the wrong thing, religion-wise, ultimately it really has that potential. And I mean literally, and we're seeing it happen in our world today, somebody dying because of that. We're talking about things that touch every area of life. We're talking about those things that determine what our eternal life is going to be. Where we're going to go after we die. So that helps us understand as we look at these verses. Why Paul used words that were so intense. That, that were so strong as he expressed his concern for them. So, and we see this beginning with what he wrote in In chapter 2, beginning at verse 4, down through verse 8. So let's read this. He said, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him strengthening in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving and then he made this statement in verse eight he said see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on than on christ now well, what we see here is that paul is drawing a very clear line in the sand and and on this side is Jesus Christ and and on this side are these individuals who who are who are bringing a whole different set of ideas about God and man we'll call them teachers Paul would say they're false teachers and all of them are 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 on this side of the line and Paul draws this line because what faced these believers then is what's facing us today and it, it, it's, a, it's a mixing together of opposite ideas about God and man to, to create a kind of spirituality that's, that's acceptable to everyone. Now, the word for this is syncretism. And when I say that, i got to very quickly say, stay with me, all right? Stay with me on this. It's going to be worth it because this word describes What's in the thinking of so many people in our world today? It's absolutely everywhere. We, we live in it, and so do our children. In fact, I, I would say our children live in it even more than we do. At least beginning in middle school and high school and on into college. They, they live in, in this kind of thinking it's in movies and it's in television and radio you're gonna find it in education in books and magazines newspapers I mean it is everywhere you're gonna find it in the workplace you're gonna you're gonna find it you'll even find it in politics and unfortunately you'll find it in too many churches today again this is what syncretism is it mixes opposite ideas about God and man to create a spirituality that's acceptable to everybody. Uh, that is not my lunch. Uh, so I just thought of this this morning. Uh, so it's kind of a last minute thing. In fact, I, I stopped at a store on the way here to get this. The tomato, that is. So, I've got, a, I've got a tomato, and I've, I've got an egg. You only have to boil an egg about two minutes, right? So that it's not soft inside anymore and runny. About two minutes. Just joking. I boiled this baby for 45 minutes to make sure. That was, I mean, that is one boiled sucker you got there, all right? That, that, that egg. But you know what, you know what, syncretism, is a bit like mix, mixing eggs and tomatoes and cheese and, and ham and spinach and making an omelette. I mean, you and I don't have any problem recognizing the difference between a tomato and egg, right? I mean, ingredients in an omelette, but they're entirely different. I mean, I, I could have my eyes shut and, shut and you, could, you could put a, a tomato in my mouth and I'd know it was a tomato. I'd know it wasn't an egg. And... Same with the other. All right? Syncretism is a bit like mixing eggs and cheese and tomatoes and ham and spinach and whatever else you want and making an omelet. They're entirely different from each other, but put them together and they become the same thing. They all become an omelet. That's syncretism. Add to it what we're hearing a lot these days, it's very pervasive. The idea that you can believe what you want to believe and I can believe what I want to believe and as opposite as they might be, we're both right. Christian, Muslim, Jew, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever religion and everybody's right and nobody's wrong add this to syncretism and it's confusing to so many people it creates it, it really it creates the challenge that we're facing it's what we're up against and it's it's what paul was up against and 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 those who taught it did so with the with the idea that jesus christ wasn't enough they'd say at best you were naive to put all of your trust entirely in one person put all your eggs in one basket they they were saying, oh, it's okay to believe in Jesus. It's okay to do the Jesus thing. But that's not enough. There's other stuff that you've got to believe. There's a whole lot of other stuff that you've got to do. And, and, and underlying this was the implication that Jesus isn't God. At, at, at the very most, they would say he's a, he's a smaller God. And so if they wrote the, the equation, they would write it like this. And, and they would write... Jesus in, with no capital J... in very small print... and then they put plus... and then we'll see what they'll fill it in with... here in a bit... and they would say equals... everything. Small Jesus. Paul faces this... and he draws a very, very clear line in the sand. And on this side is Jesus Christ... And then on this side of the line are those individuals who are bringing in a whole different set of ideas about God and man. They're they're all on this side of, of the line. And he's saying we can't have both. We can't mix them up. We can't create our own religious omelet, so to speak. And so Paul would say without any apology, this is the correct equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. All right. Now, Paul draws this line by doing two things. Two things. He reminds the Colossians of the truth that they had already learned about Jesus Christ. We've seen this over the last few weeks. He does this in in the first chapter of Colossians, and he does it again in chapter 2. And then he gives them the truth about this what this mix of ideas about God and man can do for them. Or, or to use the word, he, he gives them the truth about syncretism. And this morning we're going to look at the second of the two. We're going to look at the truth about syncretism. So if you got your Bible, turn with me to chapter 2. And, and again, what Paul's going to write in verse 8. And what we see is he, he, he divides this verse in two halves. And in the first half of this verse, Paul uses... Two very strong words to describe what the Colossians had been hearing from these false teachers. The word hollow and the word deceptive. And so in the first half of the verse he said, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Put these two words together. And Paul's saying that what these guys are claiming, what they're promising will happen, won't happen, it won't happen. Their religious mix has no power to change the, the human heart, and it, and it does nothing to bring us into any kind of a, of a relationship with God. So that's the first half of that verse. The second half of the verse, Paul points to two major ingredients in this mix, this omelet, so to speak. One is human tradition... And the other is what Paul refers to as the basic principles of this world. Look look at the second half of that verse. He writes this, which he said, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than Jesus Christ, rather than Christ. What I want us to see is how good these false teachers were at this. They were very strategic. And here's how we can know this. Here's why. The church in Colossae was, was, was really a combination of two different groups of people. You had the Jews and you had the Greeks. And, and what they did was they appealed to both groups. And, and, and so the way they did this with Jewish people is they, they appealed to them through this whole thing of, of, of human tradition. And then, this other phrase that Paul uses, the the basic principles of this world, I'll explain what that means in a bit here, but they use that to appeal to the Greeks, all right, to the Greeks, or Gentiles. So first of all, men and women who were Jewish by birth, here's what their life had been. They, before Jesus Christ, they grew up with all the teachings of their religious leaders, who are extremely legalistic. And what these these religious leaders did was they took the Old Testament, all all of the laws in the Old Testament, and they distorted them to say something God never intended. They, they They just messed with them in a really bad way. And they did this by piling layer upon layer of their own laws, their own rules on what God had given the people to do. Let let, let me show you an example of this, kind of to flesh it out for us, from Mark's Gospel chapter 7. uh, This is what we're talking about here. Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 1, we read this. uh, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw so some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. Let me just tell you here, we're not talking about personal hygiene. We're not talking about, like, you go in a restroom in a restaurant, and you read, it always says, before you go back, wash your hands. We're not talking about that, okay? We're not talking about that kind of a deal, all right? And then, verse, parentheses, verse 3. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat it unless... They give their hands a ceremonial washing. This is all ceremony. Holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and and kettles. Verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? And man, I just love Jesus didn't like back off at all. He just leans forward, and, and he, we read this. He replied. He, he replied. Yeah, Isaiah was right. He was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They they worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And then he he said this. He just nailed it with this. He said, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. There were people in the Colossian church that grew up with this. Before Christ, they were up to their necks in all these rules, all these traditions, rules upon rules about what you can do and what you can't do. And if you've ever, if you've if you have this background in your life, if you've ever had to live with this, you know it's a hard thing to let go, to walk away from, yeah? And these false teachers, they knew this. And so they used it to confuse these. New believers in Christ. I'm a, I'm a very, very I'm very privileged to have, Lorenda Porter as you know, serving in our ministry, here at Brookside as as my administrative assistant. And uh, Lorenda and I have talked about this kind of thing over the years because that's her background. She grew up in a very Legal legalistic church kind of a of a background and, and so I asked I said Lorinda could you just send me an email this week that that would unpack in a few words what you lived with and I thought what she, what she sent me was so good this this is what she wrote see? she said it gave the false illusion that my salvation had something to do with me with my actions I have to do it right to be loved by God You're, You're never quite sure of your salvation. You're never quite sure that God loves you. She writes, my obedience to God was based on fear of God and not love for God. And then Lorinda writes this, and so right on. She said, it slaps in the face of Christ who gave up so much. It's as if to say that God's gift of his son wasn't enough to save me. She writes, legalism made me my savior and not Christ. Well, that's right on. And at at its worst, this this kind of rule setting appeals to our ego, to to our pride, where where we somehow think we're capable of earning our way to God. And, and, And I'd have to say that Islam epitomizes this. It's why people in the Muslim faith are willing to blow themselves up. Because what they've been told all their lives is that they can earn their salvation. And, and kind of like the, you know, the pinnacle of all of that is to be willing to blow yourself up for the sake of, of the Muslim faith. See, everybody, this is so relevant to the challenge we face. Where we're told that it's wrong for us to claim that Christianity is the only way to God. It's, it's so relevant because what every religion has in common that makes Christianity unique is the idea that we're able to earn our way to God. That's not what Christianity says. Christianity says this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I, I you know... I encourage you to check me out on this. Read all the different religions, as many as you can. And you'll find that you don't have to dig far to see how true this is. You see, really the only difference between all the other religions in this world is the list of rules that they've got. The the ways they say that you you can earn eternal life. So there were men and women in the church who were Jewish by birth. And then there was this whole group of of, of men and women who who were Greeks. They were Gentiles. and, And they had a lifetime of... Uh, of experience with every kind of pagan religion imaginable and, and and so what these false teachers did was they they grabbed on to this at, by by bringing some of what these Greeks had heard all of their life again once again for them it was hard for them to walk away from this it was like it was haunting that was it was back in their life where they you know as new believers they would find it very easy to ask themselves oh you, you know maybe I should be you know, doing this or that or believing this Paul, Paul referred to this as uh, if you notice in that verse the basic principles of this world and I, what I discovered when I dug into this is that biblical scholars it's a, it's a very difficult uh phrase or statement in the Greek and so biblical scholars have studied this for years and 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 what they have all come up with a consensus is this this is like the like some the beginnings of of what's called Gnosticism it's like the early embryonic forms of that and um by the way just so there's no confusion I don't want to get sidetracked what Gnostics taught was this they they said, what you know is what gives you eternal life. What you know. What you know. Just all up in the brain, what you know. And the, the, the funny thing about this is they, it was very convenient for them because you know what they said? We're the ones who know what you need to know. Nobody else knows, we know. And, and what we're talking about is, is like passwords. You've got to have a certain password that's going to get you to heaven that that's the kind of stuff we're talking about they're just crazy now narcissism emphasized two things one was dualism which taught that matter is evil and the spirit of good this this included saying that there is absolutely nothing good about our physical bodies our our physical bodies are absolutely evil and and part of eternity is to get rid of our bodies and never you know be in some kind of a nirvana kind of kind of a state that idea has always been in pagan religions going all the way back the interesting thing you're going to find it in a lot of different religions today that the body's just evil. You do want to get rid of it. Christianity teaches the opposite. And, 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 and we can see this by virtue of the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on a human body when he came here to this earth. The incarnation, that's what Christmas is all about. Now, Paul speaks of this in verse 9. He said, "...for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form." The, the word deity that Paul uses here is a, is a very strong word. It declares that Jesus Christ is fully God in, in every way. And so, what Paul makes very clear by using it here is that God Himself, God Himself became one with us in our humanity. Jesus Christ is fully God and He's fully man. He's the, if you've ever heard this, He's the God man. He's the God man. Now, Paul is really. He, he, he's very careful in how he wrote verse 9. Again, look at the same. He said, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. He, did, he doesn't say lived. He's not, the, what, what he's teaching us here is that Jesus Christ didn't have a physical body. Only during the, the years he was on, on this earth, he still has a physical body today when he's in heaven. He didn't, he didn't stop being the God-man. He's going to be the God-man forever the second thing that the Nazis came up with was the idea that we're dependent on angels to reach God and so it's like they would do this they would say one of the things they would add to this so you know to the Jewish people it was Jesus plus traditions all the laws to the Greeks, what these guys did is they, they said, oh, this is what you got to have. you got to have Jesus, and it would be little Jesus plus angels. And that equals everything. Okay, so what, what were they doing? Here's what they taught, okay? It's like if God was right up there on, you know, in the ceiling, okay? And we're way down here. In fact, I would say, like, we're standing on the floor. And then what you've got is you've got the archangels that are very close to God, and then you've got lower angels, and and then lower angels, and lower angels, and lower angels, and lower angels. Come all the way down to these teachers, these Gnostic teachers, who would maybe be about right here. And those angels would speak to them and give them the passwords, and, and all the secret things that anybody down here you and me needed to have in order for us to be able to have eternal life in a relationship with God. Now you know what everybody—it's still going on today. You know what? You know what the modern—the modern word for this today—I'm sure you've heard somebody say, you know, spirit guide. I have my spirit guide. Huh? Paul's this one straight uh, in verse 18 um, and. <laughs> He, he writes this, he said, do not let anyone who delights in false humility. We all know what that is, right? Oh, I'm so humble. Yeah, that kind of thing. Okay, and, and, and the worship, don't let, don't let them, and the, it, oh, well, let me start. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, all the passwords, all the secrets he knows. And and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. Well, I mean, but he's just saying it like it is. He's being very honest. He's just saying it's complete foolishness. Here's the deal about this, everybody. Why this is so serious this kind of stuff this like angels and other stuff that's as foolish as that this this kind of stuff is found in 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 many of our world's religions stuff that makes absolutely no sense and imprisons so many people in a in a perpetual state of fear I mean really it's nothing short of being demonic and so to add it to a a mix of spiritual beliefs and syncretism and say it's okay it's not only a foolish thing to do I mean honestly it's it's a dangerous and it's a it's a destructive thing to do destroys people's lives you know for all of us here today who are followers of Jesus Christ we believe in Christ I would say one of the best things we should do, and I would actually, I would actually say we should all do it so we can, we can really know how to, how to speak intelligently and how to answer somebody with their question. One of the best things you could do to strengthen your faith is read what all the other religions teach, as many as you can, and compare them. And I, I'd say to you this morning, if you're still on that spiritual journey, one of the best things you could do one of the best things you could do is read the, the writings, the teachings of all the different founders of different religions, the major religions in our world. Just start with those. Mormonism, Buddhism, you know, Hinduism. A list like that. Just read, read what the founders of those religions taught and look at how they lived and compare that to Jesus Christ. Boy, I got, a, I got a fresh new one just this last week. Boys uh, of the Martyrs magazine about North Korea. North Korea. And it says, their God is dead. Their God is dead. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with North Korea, but the, 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 who the people are forced to worship in North Korea as, as God is the, is the guy who's a dictator over North Korea. It started two generations ago, and then his son took over when he died, and then that son died, and now the grandson of the, of the founder. Read what that guy says. More than that, look at what that guy does. He's enslaved the whole population of people. He's cruel. He's he's immoral in every way. So, I mean, mean, just to say, say it straight up, I mean, what sense does it make to say, man, yeah, you can believe that. That's okay. You can believe that. You're right. I mean, obviously, it's wrong. So, Here's what I would would ask you to do. Give it careful thought. Are those axioms true? Is it true all major religions are equally valid and basically teach the same thing? Paul shows us that's not true. Is it true that each religion sees part of the spiritual truth but none of it can see all of the truth? Paul shows us that's not true. Is it true that it is arrogant to insist your religion is right and convert others to it? Is that arrogant? Paul says, no, it's not. You see, everybody, it only makes sense if, if you're convinced in what you believe, why wouldn't you want to convince other people? It's a dumb example, right? I mean, it's, but but if, if I found out, if I knew... That there was a car dealership here in town that if you went there before the sun set today, you would get a brand new car of your choice in that model. If, if I knew that, and I knew they were doing that, I mean, wouldn't it only make sense that I would want to convince all of you to do it? How much more truth says of God and life and eternity? So friend, if you've come here today and... And you might, be, you might have come here and you're thinking these statements are true, these axioms. I would just like to encourage you to take a careful look at as many of the world religions as you can. And I believe, I believe you're going to see how similar they are to what Paul faced and dealt with in the verses we looked at today, all of chapter 2. And then take a careful look at Christianity. I mean, read a book like Colossians or, or any other book in the Bible. And, and, and you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that it points us to a God who's holy. Not evil, holy. It's going to point us to a God who's filled with love for each one of us. Love that, love that is so great that God sent his son to this earth to die for you. That's Christianity. Other religions create fear and uncertainty. Christianity points to God's love and the certainty of eternal life with Jesus Christ. And so, you see everybody, you and I have every reason to be confident that this equation is true. Jesus plus nothing, absolutely nothing, equals everything. Everything we need for life now and everything we need for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you that you have spoken so clearly to us, God. I thank you that we can open up the pages of of Scripture and what we read makes sense. It makes sense because it's true. And I praise you for that. And God, I I pray for every one of us, Father, this, this journey of life that we have, I pray, Father, for those who've come here today who, who are still on that spiritual journey. And I ask God that, that they can find the answers to their questions. And Father, that, that they can see that Jesus Christ really is your son. He is who he said he is. And he's right in everything he said, right in it all. I ask this in Christ's name. For your glory. Amen.